Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Okay, welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, but not just any episode of Lost in Science. This is our annual, around Halloween time, we like to look at science fiction films, TV, movies, whatever. So we call it Lost in Science Fiction. Are we excited? I'm Woo! Very excited. Or should we say, <laughs> We'll get the, um, yeah, we'll switch the theremin to, to go in a second. Um, so Stu, what will you be treating us with today? Well, I'm going to be looking at something which is probably not what a lot of people might consider science fiction. If they think about science fiction, they probably wouldn't think of Michel Gondry, even though his one of his early films was called The Science of Sleep. I'm actually going to be looking at Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. All right. Memory wipes and that kind Me- of thing. Memory wipes. And how, how is that real? Is that a real thing? Can we do that? Um, we'll find out. Great. Claire, what have you got for us? Yeah, well, we are going to turn back the clock a couple of days to October 21, 2015 and have a look at Back to the Future. Back to the Future 2, two. I'm assuming you mean. That, that's it, yes. That, to, yes. See, to see what came true. To Is see what came true right. and what we're still waiting for. Okay, Excellent. Fantastic. Well, now me, I think I probably would have, you know, expected that one of us would be talking about The Martian this year. I thought it would be you, Chris. Yeah, I know. I did a bit of excitation on me, but frankly, I just thought it was just too scientifically accurate to, to really make much fun of. And plus, we've talked about Mars a lot on the show. <laughs> have you been out out Mars? I've been a bit out Mars. You know, there's some things that are useful, though. I mean, we've learned about water on Mars. We talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. And that's something that, that Matt Damon could have used to get water in the in the movie, if you've seen it, instead of the ridiculously complicated and dangerous technique he used. The only other main bit of scientific inaccuracy in that was the, the whole kind of premise, the storm that sets things off that leaves him stranded on Mars. They do have storms on Mars, but the atmosphere is so thin you wouldn't really feel it if you're in a space suit. It wouldn't, oh. definitely wouldn't knock you over and just, have things just, flying yeah, around. A, a mild zephyr. A mild zephyr. You might be sand coming past, but yeah, it wouldn't blow you over at all. Right. So, yeah, so look, I would say go see The Martian if you like a science film, if you want more science and read the book, but it's not worth us talking about, I think, here. So I said, I am going to talk about the biggest science fiction film of 2015. Anyone want to guess what that is? Um, Ant-Man? Age of Ultron? No, I am going to say, I'm going to go and leave me here and say it is Star Wars Episode Seven: <gasps> The Force oh. Awakens. Obviously not out yet, but I'm going to take some wild speculation <laughs> and talk about oh, Star we Wars. Wild speculation. Yes. I can't wait. All right. Well, on with the show. Great Scott, guys. If you're anything like me, October 21, 2015 might have had a special meaning to you, maybe. Yes, it it allowed me to correct all of the people who said, today's Back to the Future Day for about the last four years. Oh my God, I've been so sick of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's actually happened now. Yes, it has to do with Back to the Future 2 and it sounds like you have heard of this. It's the date where Marty McFly... Great T-shirt. Stu is wearing a T-shirt that says "Save the Clock Tower," the Hill Valley Preservation Society. He has come. He has come in costume. 
<laughs> Halloween. I mean, costume. Which is cosplay, totally cosplay here in Lost Inside <laughs> Studio. I am, I am, of course, dressed as a Sith Lord. Anyway, carry on, Claire. Well, you are wearing a green shirt. I thought it's... you were meant to be Yoda. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Hang on, just to go back to Yoda. Are there any Yoda, uh, like, are there any other members of his species? Oh. There were. There were? Yeah. Presumably. They're dead. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's thanks. Just thanks. Well, they could be. They could just be another planet we don't visit. I mean, it's a big galaxy. Maybe they just look better than. Maybe him. that's something. We'll Maybe see they just in the look better movie. than. I don't him. Know. Maybe he said, "When nine hundred years old, you reach." Look as good you were not. Yeah. Thanks, Fozzie. Anyway. <laughs> um, so it's the day that Marty McFly, Doctor Emmett Brown, and Marty's girlfriend Jennifer travelled into the future in Back to the Future Two. And Biff. And Biff, yeah. very important. Yeah, very well, important. Biff, Biff didn't travel to the future; he just stole the oh, did he? Okay. from the future. Okay, and then he went back into the. And then he went past. Back to the future. Okay, right. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. Just to summarise for people who haven't seen the film as many times as we have, the Doc, a sort of crazy head scientist, uh-huh. uh, shows up at Marty McFly's door and convinces him and his girlfriend Jennifer that they need to go to the future to save their future children, who are in a bit of future strife now the future strife that they're referring to is marty's son marty jr uh, has been sent to jail after agreeing to a robbery with the villain of the uh, movie trilogy biff his grandson griff so marty and griff rob a bank get caught and marty jr gets sent to prison so they need to stop this. It's, a, it's silly. It's pretty bad for Marty Jr., but it's not a problem that warrants tampering with the space-time continuum, I would feel. <laughs> well, you know, I mean... Maybe it'll sort him out. It'll do good. Chris, if you had the opportunity, though, <sighs> why wouldn't you? But there's no need to travel to the future to solve a problem. <laughs> there really is never a need to travel to the future to solve it. You can solve it now. Say, hey, Marty... Watch out for that Griff character. <laughs> He's bad news. Okay, Marty yeah. will go, okay, thanks, Doc. And then go on a date with his girlfriend, which is what and he it's, was intended and, to And, do. and yeah. it's, it's, it's probably the worst film yeah. ever, your version of that. <laughs> also, it, was, it was really boring. It only, it only lasted 10 minutes. Yeah. Also, Stu, when some old guy gives you advice, you'll definitely follow that 15 years, 50 years do. later. Yeah. Always, especially if they arrive in a flying DeLorean. Okay. That, that's anyway. always... Okay, so speaking of the DeLorean, so they jump in the DeLorean, they set the time machine for October 21, 2015, and they head 30 years into the future. So this is in 1985, so they head to 2015. Right. They head to last week. They head to last week, that's right. And as Doc Brown puts it, the encounter could create a time paradox, the results of which could destroy the entire universe. Granted, that's the worst case scenario. (laughs) Again, slightly extreme <laughs> plan. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it. So once they're in 2015, they they need to fit in yep. and um, make their way in the crazy, futuristic, unfamiliar world. Now, the film has a lot of awesome bits that I still remember now, like a giant holographic shark that's advertising for Jaws 19. Yeah. We're, we're about 15 sequels short. <laughs> yeah, they better get a move on with those. Yeah. Yes. And as Marty points out, the shark still looks fake. 
Yeah, which it is, did look very fake. It yeah, did look fake still. So nothing's really changed. Okay, yeah. And also rehydrated pizza. Do you guys remember this? He takes a really yeah. tiny little pizza out of out of some plastic and puts it in the rehydrator, the black and yeah, yeah, black, the black and decker, decker rehydrator. I like that. But then, I like but that. then it's steaming, right? It's steaming. The pizza's steaming, so it's yeah. really hot. Yeah. She pulls it out with no gloves on this metal tray and plunks it on the table. Oh, so well, the, the tray isn't hot. The, the pizza's hot. So the tray didn't get conducted heat from the pizza. Okay, fine. Look, they've got magic trays in the future. Yeah. Yeah, magic trays in the future. So there are a lot of things that they predicted in 1985. And I wanted to have a look at some of those predictions and what we see in our world now, how, you know, and what we're still waiting for. Now, first of all, wearable technology. This was really big in the movie. So Marty's kids were wearing TV glasses at the dinner ta- at, at the dinner table. Okay, yeah. And Marty had shoes that like electronically tightened when he put them on, and he had this shirt that like that would would just fit to his body shape. Because who who wants to, the inconvenience of having to buy a jacket that fits? That fits. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's just one size fits all, and yeah. then and then the uh, shirt oh, does it for you. Economies of scale. Yeah. yeah it only needs to operate well. once. It's great. Yeah, exactly. It is. So looking at our world right now, they were sort of on point with some of this stuff. So especially the glasses that Mm -hmm. Marty's kids are wearing. Um, So we already have things like Google Glasses. Do we? Do we really have Google Glass? Well. Some some people do. Some people do. Especially the people who've got shares in Google. Mm, Okay. (laughs) And the market's also seeing other companies like Facebook deliver technology like the Oculus Rift. Right. So that's the virtual reality headsets. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if Facebook's taken over Oculus Rift, then maybe these things are just around the corner in terms of being delivered to a larger market. Oh, yeah. They won't be able to, you know, be able to read um, yeah, a book like directly in front of you. They want to turn your face into a book. What? <laughs> anyway, carry on. Addictive <laughs> naming of their company then. Yep. Yeah. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm picking. <laughs> Now, in terms of clothes shrinking to your size, that could be around the corner as well. There's a big push in research and development at the moment to make fabrics that are clever and functional, um, but also very wearable. Mm -hmm. Material that can sense and monitor human movements is, you know, it's, it's out there. It is being developed. So maybe not every teenager right now will have these crazy jackets um, but the idea to replace conventional fibers with something that could conduct electricity, can store electricity to charge devices, or that can change shape and use nanotechnology to just create new wearable technologies is sort of close to becoming okay. a reality. Well, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can cope with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Interconnectedness was another big thing. So the movie alluded to a sort of internet of interconnectedness, even though it didn't talk about the internet. So this was hilariously demonstrated when the older Marty McFly with his dodgy suit that had not one tie but two neckties. Two neckties. (laughs) Is on a sort of like Skype phone call with his boss and he gets fired. Because it's the future, the message is sent loud and clear through a fax machine and throughout the house there's like fax machines. There's every one in the single, bathroom. There's a fax machine in the bathroom. Yeah, room in the house has a fax machine that then prints out the words, you're fired. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously the fax machine is now obsolete uh, once email came in. But it's it's cool that the two-way video telephone, they sort of preempted Skype yeah. on that level, which is interesting. 
Although that was sort of mentioned in 2001, in 1969. Or the Jetsons. Yeah, the oh, the Jetsons. Yeah. Dick Tracy. Yeah, Dick Tracy had a watch phone. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Old school tech. Old sci-fi. S- yeah. Future retro. Future retroism or something. Well, the other <laughs> technological advancement is the flying cars. Yeah. Um, now it seems pretty obvious to me if you're making a movie about the future, then the first thing you want to put in it is flying cars because that would be the best. Um, it's sort of shorthand for the future now. Mm. Well, and even if it's gay, the technological future, I mean, your dystopia, like Mad Max would not be the same with flying cars. That's true. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, it solves the problem of getting around things if you can just go over them in yeah. a flying car. I wouldn't have been surprised in Fury Road whether where like a flying car would just sort of with with it with someone playing um electric guitar in it just, just burst on drums or something, just Keto. burst yeah. out of the desert. Keto's futuristic, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so unfortunately we don't have Flying cars, as we all know. However, there are some entrepreneurs out there who are trying to change that. So a US company called Terrafugia uh, are currently working on a car with foldable wings and a lightweight body that can fit inside a car garage. It flies at a maximum of 160 kilometres an hour and can do about 105 on the road. I don't know if I'd want to buy a flying car from a company who had terror in their name. That's, <laughs> that's a bit of a worry. I'm going to go on record saying that this is a bad idea for a couple of reasons. <laughs> um, one being, you know, we have enough problems with like traffic control and, yeah, it, and those sort of things. moving in two on, dimensions. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is we're also trying to reduce people driving in cars and their energy consumption. And I, think, I suspect that... a a flying car Lifting would a use a lot more fuel than a, a driving car. Absolutely. But that's a different issue. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, w- w- where's the Mr. Fusion? Oh, that's true. They're all powered solved. by fusion and Yeah, and well, that's the other that's thing, Mr. Sorry, I sit, sit corrected. Yeah, yeah. There's no cold fusion yet either. So that's yeah. something we're just going to have to hold on. Now, last but not least, I want to talk about the infamous hoverboard. As Chris rolls his eyes. Um, <laughs> hoverboards are amazing, Chris. What have you got against them? They're just... They're non-existent. They're yeah. non-existent. <laughs> That's what you've yeah. got against yeah. them. Yeah. They're um, impracticality. They're, they're um, yeah, problems with gravity and that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so hoverboards first appear in the movie as Marty's being chased through the town by Biff's grandson, Griff, and his gang. And to escape, Marty hops on what he thinks is a skateboard and finds he's actually cruising without wheels on a hoverboard. And it's pretty amazing. He is, yeah, taken to a place that he didn't think existed. And yet it doesn't really do much more than a skateboard could do. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, it, it, can't even, it can't even go on water. Well, a skateboard no, can't either. But, 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 <laughs> but if you're in a tunnel which he is at the end of the movie and he needs to get the almanac back off um, Biff, then it oh. can <coughs> hover Spoiler on alert. the side of a tunnel. Oh, yeah, and which you is wouldn't, cool. it wouldn't be able to go along the side of a train either on a normal skateboard. Yeah. I mean, that would be yeah. pretty tricky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, it's got benefits in terms of friction yep. reduction. Yeah. Mm. Now, and the tiny wheels on a skateboard, they're limited in there. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Whatever. Application. So... Inevitably, lots of inventors have tried to recreate the hoverboard with mixed results. A few recent prototypes use magnetic levitation technology that's gotten close to trying to recreate the movie ideal. 
Recently, Lexus unveiled a slide hoverboard and to create some sort of liftoff, it required a very powerful magnet on the ground to repel the board's interior superconductor that was then cooled by liquid nitrogen, which meant that when the hoverboard went along, it had this awesome trail. That is actually pretty awesome. Of, I will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it can only go along a, a rail. Well, yeah. It, as soon as it reached a non-magnetic surface like concrete, then it stopped. Yeah. So <laughs> that was, that's a little bit – when you're trying to get away from um, – when you're trying to get away from Griff, then it's going to be a little bit more difficult for Marty if he, un- unless he's travelling on a road made yep, of yep. iron ore or something like that. Uh, but what I think is amazing about the hoverboard is that it's really captured the imagination of people all over the world. There's a Guinness World Record for the farthest hoverboard flight, which currently belongs to a Canadian man who flew just over 275 metres at an altitude of five metres over a lake in Quebec before it lost power and he fell in. <laughs> How was that hovering? Was it on, like, uh, propellers or something? Like, it, I think I'm there's these ones that have, like, yeah, a drone sort of thing. They have, like, um, spurts of water come out of it. So ah. they, oh, right, they're okay. kind of a... So it might not be the movie ideal, but, yeah. but you know, it, it's it's got a little bit of a way to go. But the fact that the movies inspired a whole generation of inventors and creative thinkers, um, I think is probably something to celebrate in itself. So I know when most people think of science fiction, they probably think of almost fantasy films like anything with star in the title, Star Wars, Star Trek, <laughs> Stargate, those sorts of things. Yeah. Or possibly more science-based stuff like Interstellar, mm. 2001 A Space Odyssey. The Martian. Yeah, I think of things with Back to the in the title. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even uh, crazy films like uh, Escape from New York or Planet of the Apes about a future gone bad. Oh, they dystopian. Seem, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, Mad Max. That yeah. seems to be quite popular. Uh, but I thought I'd pull out a much more human-based film to talk about because I think the best science fiction films really deal with how people and society react to changes in technology. It's like science fiction without even knowing that you're watching science fiction. Yeah. And also when, when they bring up sort of philosophical questions about what it means to be human and and those sorts Mm. of things. So I'm going to have a look at Michelle Gondry's film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Now, Michelle Gondry is well known for making music videos. He's worked with Björk and the Chemical Brothers. Mm -hmm. The White Stripes. uh, The White Stripes. And, you know, to be frank, his style is less concerned with scientific realism than some science fiction filmmakers, um, and he's sort of more going for a visual atmosphere. He tries to make a whole sort of feeling about what his film's about. So we're not going to find much in the way of accurate representation of science in that way in the film. It was also written by Charlie Kaufman, oh, of course. who also wrote Being John Malkovich, which is another unusual journey into uh, what it is that makes up an individual's personality. And adaptation. And adaptation, yeah, yeah. which is all about... Orchids. Orchids, yeah. Yeah. He's a a strange, strange guy. But look, the basic premise of the film is that people who are suffering from problematic memories of traumatic experiences can go along to a special clinic and have their bad recollections erased from their minds so they can just move on with their lives. 
Um, the clinic's sort of set up to look a bit like a um, like a uh, sort of a cheap plastic surgeon's office mm-hmm. or something. It's, mm. It doesn't seem like it's a high-end operation to me in the movie, but I think that's kind of a point they're trying to make. But in the film, the actual memory erasing happens at the patient's home uh, under the supervision of apparently less than qualified operators who have, you know, standard kooky-looking equipment that they mm-hmm. whack on your head and... Um, you, you, you just go to sleep and you, your memories will get erased as you dream, I guess. Isn't Frodo one of those operators? Frodo is one of those operators. Yeah, okay. um, one of the subplots involves the operators getting distracted by a boozy strip poker game and a visiting girlfriend, which kind of lets... They, they lose track of what's going right. on with the hapless um, patient who is Jim Carrey. Now, look, it might seem a bit far-fetched that individual memories can be erased, it's you know it's it's a bit beyond our um, capabilities to do that, um, and look the movie is set in what appears to be a relatively current world setting. It's it's mm. a few years old now, but it it seems to be set you know around the the twenty first century, the early twenty first mm-hmm. century. But actually, neurologists are working on similar therapies to try and help erase traumatic memories for people. Really? So there's no way to zap individual memories out of the brain. But every time we recall something, that memory becomes somewhat flexible. So we actually recall it and it gets re-remembered back into our long-term memory. So if you recall something, it becomes flexible while it's in our short-term memory and they can actually manipulate that Mm. so that when it goes back into the long-term memory, it can be slightly less traumatic and less problematic. Okay. So, you know, that can be um, sort of manipulated by suggestion and there's been studies that show that helping people remember things, which is basically sort of a kind of talk therapy is you get people to remember things and and talk them through why it's not such a bad thing or why it wasn't necessarily their fault or, you know, those sorts of um, comforting things. So they re-remember it in a less traumatic way. Um, and there's also potential to disrupt the actual biochemical processes of memory. So there's potential for, you know, giving people particular drugs which will disrupt the remembering process so that as they re-remember those traumatic memories, they get sort of jumbled up and less, you know, vivid in their long-term memory. So would they be taking those drugs at the same time that they're remembering Yeah, so they'll probably those be, memories? be prompted yeah. to recall things and, and explain them in as much detail yeah. as they can and they'll be talked through it and, and potentially drugged with and things that will disrupt those And hopefully they don't remember processes. anything else at that time. Well, it's I guess it's... um. You know, it's it's hit and miss. There's no, you know, there's no way we can see that you could actually erase a whole person from their memory, which is what happens in the film. Mm. But, you know, it would be really useful for treatment of things like post-traumatic stress disorder, where people are just stuck in a moment where they have to, you know, they just constantly relive terrible things that have happened to them. So if you can sort of just lessen that a little bit, then that'll be a great help to those people. Um, but one, I, I think one of the interesting philosophical questions the film raises, and if you haven't seen it you don't want to know what happens, um, go and make yourself a cup of tea or something like that. But the main characters both choose to have their relationship erased from their minds. One of them for apparently frivolous reasons. She just thinks it'll be a bit of a lark to go in and have her memory erased, which then really upsets the other partner who goes and does it because now he doesn't want to think about her because she didn't take him seriously or whatever. Um, So they both feel, for different reasons, they're better off without their experience of their relationship. But as the film ends, and the film is sort of 
cut and pasted in such a way that there's not really a linear timeline of the film. So if you're watching the film for the first time, it might be a bit confusing. But as the film ends, they serendipitously run into each other and it appears they begin their relationship again, or at least it's suggested that they might actually begin a relationship with each other again. That sounds like a bad idea. As, as they've both had their memories idea. completely erased. So they, they don't remember each other, and yet they meet each other again and they're attracted all over again. And I think, um, I think the idea that a particular personality will continue to make the same decisions regardless is an interesting idea. That you know, our yeah. personalities may be fixed, even though our memories are not fixed. And uh, you know, may- maybe the fact that we remember bad things is a way to help us make better decisions in the future. Or you could just go into the future and change what happened. You could to just your change self. your future by travelling to the future. To the future. Th- yeah, see, it's problematic. It's really it's problematic. problematic. No good, Doc. What are you doing back here? Quiet, Joey. <laughs> okay, yes, that's is that is a that is the sound of a Wookiee you hear there, and we are well into the Star Wars territory. <laughs> yes, <laughs> shut up, Stuart. I will really will bend your Wookiee. Okay, yes, I, we're talking Star Wars today, most particularly the upcoming film Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, which it is to be fair to say we don't really know that much about because it hasn't come out yet. So, um, yeah, we can speculate. Totally. We can theorise, hypothesise, as we might be, because we're scientists. Look, we know some things about it, and we can be guided by what we've seen in posters. And we can refer to Wikipedia, which is the Star Wars version of Wikipedia. But we can also go from the title, which I believe is called The Force Awakens, and we can surmise that there is going to be some force action in and, this. And some sort of awakening, yeah, some description. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is... What is the force? What is the science of the force? Oh, oh. the science of the force. You, yeah, see, I, I, I always thought the force was a great uh, you know, concept in the yeah. film until they made the prequels and they went, oh, it's these little things that live in your cells. I would defend those, but not right now. Let's go into actually what the, um, what the force actually is. Okay. And we'll, we'll quote from the expert. I won't do the voice, but life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you, here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere, yes, even between the land and the ship. That was, of course... Was that Yoda? Yeah, Yoda. Mm, Even between the land and the ship. Yes, that was Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back. You can see why I didn't do the whole thing in that voice. Now, one thing I have to say is, the rock, how is the rock alive? Well, you know, Obi-Wan also said it binds the whole galaxy together. So it's some sort of, I mean, it, it lifts up non-material things as well. Well, this is the point. Is that, I mean, clearly it's meant to be some sort of mystical, spiritual type thing. Yeah. So maybe it is outside the, the bounds of science. But Or is it just a subatomic force or something? Well, this is what I want to explore. I want to look at the properties of this said force. Because, look, the idea of there being this sort of invisible force, mysteriously pervading all of the universe, isn't obviously foreign to physics. No. No, I mean, there's gravity and there's yeah. electromagnetic yeah. forces. Exactly. And... A lot yeah. of forces are invisible. Exactly. Now, I've been, I've been reading a bit lately, quite too, I've been reading too much lately about Isaac Newton. And, of course, you know, famous developer of the theory of gravity and the inverse square law and this kind of thing. Famous you know, crazy maths guy. He was a bit crazy. He was also an alchemist. 
There is a um, a book about him called The Last Sorcerer, and it basically claims that it's sort of the idea of this invisible force acting at a distance was something that came from kind of his Newton's magical um, sort of background, because a lot of people favoured the idea of a mechanical universe, and one of them was Rene Descartes, who had this notion that there were these kind of this ether everywhere that was filled with these vortices, and they kind of linked together like gears, and that's what kind of clockwork kept the universe going. Sort of connected things to each other. Yeah, whereas the idea of something mystically acting at a great distance without anything in between didn't make sense to people. But, yeah, Newton suggested that. Even though he wasn't quite sure, he still wanted to know how it worked. You know, he was able to come up with this idea of this action at a distance. And eventually, of course, you know, we've gotten used to this idea that there are, there don't need an ether. There are these, these fields, these fields of force that, um, that are everywhere. And as you said, it's not only gravity, it's electromagnetism. Yeah, it's, it's kind of all around us. We have a bit of a better idea now. We have like quantum physics and things, how it actually works. But still, we, this idea of the invisible force is not that foreign to us. But these forces do have certain properties, the most notable which, of course, being that they, they diminish over distance, the inverse square law, as you'd be familiar with, with mm. gravity. So if you, can, if you imagine, say, the Earth with lines of gravitational force, gravitational field radiating out of it, or radiating into it, I suppose it would be, yeah. it's gravity, you know, and you draw a sphere around that, you have uh, so many sort of lines of this field cutting that sphere and then if you double the size of this, this sphere you still get the same kind of lines coming out but the surface area will be four times as big so that means the density of these field lines the the strength of the force is decreasing with the inverse square of the distance from the from the source of the mm-hmm. force yes whereas you don't see this with the the star wars force it just seems to be yeah where's the source of the star wars force well it also it acts it doesn't seem to be diminished over great distances you know when darth vader is talking to his mates over the video his his um subordinates of a video conference in empire (laughs) strikes back he can choke one of them yeah like that they're on a ship at the other side of the galaxy somewhere that's right obi-wan kenobi can instantly feel when um the planet alderaan is destroyed and in fact you can actually even use the force to predict the future to see into the future uh, so it doesn't seem to have this kind of distance. And also time, it doesn't seem to be affected by either. You know, normal forces like electromagnetism and gravity, any disturbance goes at the speed of light, whereas the, the force seems to be instantaneous. So, so, so is it an extra-dimensional force, perhaps? Well, now, this is an interesting possibility. So it's definitely not electromagnetism or gravity, and it's not the other two forces, because there are four fundamental forces in our universe, and the others being the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force, which, mm. as the name suggests, only act in the nucleus. But yeah, there could be forces in other dimensions. So superstring theory, which a lot of people think of as a theory of everything that will explain everything, does act in more dimensions than the four that we see in our universe, and we're just kind of a curled up sub part of that. So yeah, there could be these higher dimensions and forces act in higher dimensions. Star Wars also makes use of hyperspace for their faster than light travel, which could be a higher dimension. So it's maybe that there are these these other forces that are in these higher dimensions they're acting through. And hyperspace is what happens when all the stars just turn into lines and the Millennium Falcon goes Exactly, exactly. There's another possibility that was brought up in a book called The Science of Star Wars by astrophysicist Jean Cavalos, and she suggested that it could be this thing called quantum potential, which comes out of the theories of physicist David Bohm. This is a way of looking at quantum mechanics. So quantum mechanics is this weird kind of non-locality where things act at a distance instantaneously, or seem to at least. And this like David Bohm came up with the idea that there was this sort of other quantum force that acted between them and caused this non-locality. And that could explain these instantaneous effects of the force, although it probably won't allow you to lift up spaceships and shoot lightning at your fingers. 
So look, I think I mean it's not terribly scientific. It doesn't really match up with science, but there is some possibilities there. Well, and you know, they, they even they even do mention at one point, although we never see evidence of it, is there's one point where they say no ship that small has a cloaking device. Now none of the ships in Star Wars have a cloaking device, so why they even mention it, I don't know. But a cloaking device could be a, a multi-dimensional thing as look, well. Look, it could be. It could be. And what about when it comes to the good side of the force and the dark side of the force? Or the light side of the force. Most um most of the actual physical forces are morally um, <laughs> ambivalent. Amoral? There's not a yeah. good yeah. good version of yeah. gravity and an evil version. No, of there gravity. isn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So okay. falls down a little bit yeah. there. Look, one only one other thing I think I will mention about the upcoming film. It's one thing that I I thought about was this whole idea of it being a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I think we can expect that that will be at the beginning of this film as well. Now, some people have asked a question: If it is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, would we able to be able to watch it for? real with strong enough telescopes now the most violent explosion in the original trilogy was the destruction of the planet Alderaan and it has been calculated an astrophysicist has calculated that the power of that explosion would be about 10 billionth that of a supernova so it's actually not that bright and we could probably only see if it was in very close galaxy like the, the one of the Magellanic clouds so maybe not a galaxy far far away however the recently released posters for Star Wars Episode 7 show this a modified planet that the bad guys apparently got oh, called. Oh, yeah, I saw yeah, that. It's yeah. called the Star Killer Base. Whoa, and is that like implies, the dead star on steroids? Yeah, it implies that it actually blows up stars. So if that can <gasps> create supernovas, then it's quite possible we could see the explosion of that in a galaxy far, far away. So it may be that um, we will be able to watch the events of Star Wars happen in real time. <laughs> All right, that is it for this week's episode. This year's episode of Lost in Science Fiction, we have heard about the future, well, the current, what? what was uh, the future that uh, which is now the future the, from last week the last week's future yep. we the have future heard about yes we have heard about long time ago in a galaxy far far away from a few months away and um, coming out in December and we have heard about well I think I've forgotten it's all white from my memory whatever Stu talked about but I'm sure it was it was a very heartwarming romantic event indie Romance, yeah. drama, sci-fi comedy, drama, sci-fi comedy, rom. rom. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lost in Science, uh, it is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Um, we'd like you to keep in touch with us. Please email us, pointing out everything that we have said wrong in this episode. You can also message us on Twitter or find us on Facebook where we, we do a lot of stuff. And blog, something like that, I think, and our website on 3cr.org.au. Or you can listen to us on the radio. And once again, Claire, Stu and Chris will get... Lost in science! We'll throw in an extra wookie there. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.